2: Hello, everybody! Recording live from somewhere.
0: Lord of the all and Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Podcast. I'm Mo Sampson Folk, and for this episode today, I brought on two of my colleagues: one Mr. Matt Shantz, one Mr. Adam McQueen whose nicknames will be coming later on in the podcast, but they're going to detail the season that we had with me today. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well here in Winnipeg. This is Matt.
3: I've never been on a three-person <laughs> pod before, so this is a new experience for me.
2: Making sure I don't, like, butt in on anyone here. But, yeah, I'm enjoying myself. We've we've done the celebrations, and now it's time for the, the real season to begin, Summer League season.
0: Well, I think it's mostly going to be up to me to delineate who speaks at what time. I'm going to be the... <laughs> authoritative figure. So I'm going to ask you, Adam, before we get started, you were just talking about Summer League and you said you may be getting credentialed for that. What is the number one thing you're going to be looking out for if you do get credentialed for that?
2: Uh, I'm going to just do a tally of Chris Boucher three-point shots. I'm just going to chart them out and really probably write a pitch as to why you should be shooting even more of them.
0: Oh, you know, that's as, as good as anything else, I suppose. And Matt, I'll give you the first question that's actually going to kick off the podcast and the theme of this podcast, I guess. So when the documentary for this championship, the 30-30, whatever it ends up being, is made on this championship run, who's the MVP of the documentary? Who's unbelievably funny, super witty, brings some of that flavor? Who's it going to be?
3: It has to be Surge, Right. That seems like the obvious answer to me. Um, I think that he showed a lot of leadership this year. I think How Hungry Are You really was a foundational element of kind of the, the camaraderie of the team. Uh, we saw him regularly on Instagram riding with OG or joking around with Siakam, um, messing around with Gasol. He, you know, they're Spanish teammates. Uh, so he, he just seemed to be a, a real glue guy. And uh, I'm, I'm really happy for him after the the kind of playoff fizzle that he had last season to have had him come back and, and be such a central figure to um, the, the character and the makeup of the team.
0: Well, that's interesting. I think Serge would be good for one because I think there's a bit of irreverence that he has for things like how he's able to break down Kawhi at times during his interview with him and How Hungry Are You? And that's always necessary during those documentaries. You need a guy to come in and be like, no, no, this was this way, and it's kind of funny this way. Do you think there's a guy, Adam, I guess I'll direct this towards you, do you think there's a guy who would bring the very honest and succinct take? Somebody who's going to, maybe Danny, a guy who's going to give you the backdrop of everything and he'll sum it up in a really nice way. Who would you think that is?
2: I was just kind of thinking that who would kind of be the narrator of the story. And Danny would be a good one, obviously, because of the podcasting chops. But really, I mean, it, kind of lends itself but probably nick nurse man because he's kind of got that even keeled demeanor he has he's kind of some well he's not removed but he's somewhat removed to the players relationships that he can kind of offer that outside perspective and he's also just so insightful in his responses to media so i think he'd be able to kind of lay everything out and each individual story and arc in a very succinct and kind of digestible way well
0: how many times would he say right if he was the narrator (laughs) You know, we had Kyle coming in there, right? And he was doing everything right. And uh, he'd run the pick and roll really well. He had a lot of great eyes out there, right? And see how it works out. Again, the next thing and I want to talk impromptu about: impromptu guitar solos. Maybe, maybe he could even create the score. He'll set the score and create it for the whole series.
2: I think that's kind <laughs> of the cool thing about this team, though, right? Is that I think if you ask that question to ten different people or ten different Raptors fans you probably get at least six or seven different responses to that because each individual player had such like a unique story and a a story that outsiders or fans could really get involved within. And I think that's that's what kind of made this Raptors team so fun to follow that each person had a different story, a distinct different personality, yet they kind of came together to become this formidable collective that we're going to remember forever now.
0: Well, I think actually I was going to have my input be that it would probably be Kawhi Leonard if he was available, because in that interview he did with Kyle Lowry as his partner and the interview done with Rachel Nichols, where he seemingly without being coaxed into it, revealed that they had drama in the locker room halfway through the year that nobody knew about, but he just brought that forward. I think that opens up the idea that maybe Kawhi Leonard would just spill all the tea because he doesn't consider anything about emotions to be important. He's just like, oh, yeah, and everything about this, this was this way. And you'd be like, wow, that's incredibly illuminating. Except he wouldn't consider it that. He would just say, well, that's all it is. To be
3: so, fair, we do not know how much champagne he had drinking at that point. So <laughs> a lot could have happened leading up to that. So I, I guess we just need to get him drunk if, uh, if we want those honest answers.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a, there's always that way to go if you want to have your guests be intoxicated. I guess that's one way I could even shift this podcast is to send wine out to guests preemptively say, listen, (laughs) man, we're going to get you nice and loaded. And then we're going to talk about all things basketball. And then we'll talk about the next thing, which is, and I'll I'll go back to you. This one, Matt is what was your biggest fan moment of the postseason? And I know a lot of the people colleagues that are, are, they like to be kind of removed from a lot of things and, take more of an analyst approach but we're still all fans of the team at the end of the day and what was your number one fan moment where you just kind of <laughs> let the analyst go to the side and you're like no it's just fandom
3: uh, obviously it was the kawaii moment like i'm sure that even people on on press row trying to keep their composure failed uh but for me that felt really special i was watching uh, alone in my in my bedroom my wife was having a guest over in our living room and just kind of occasionally. Popping in to check on me, and she came in like right at that moment, and we just we celebrated together, and we jumped up and down, and um, so that was just a, a real special moment of getting over a, a big hurdle and on one step closer to uh, to the end goal, and so I, I'm going to remember that moment for a, a very very long time.
0: Matt, I've seen you post a couple times that you've had to watch these games in a room when your wife has guests over. How popular is your wife? It seems like it seems like you always have guests over and you're like, oh yeah, I'll go watch the game in the room. You're so damn popular. Like she's having my wine w- nights, all this type of stuff.
3: I, I make, this is, my wife is just the coolest person. I, I've, I'm so proud of her and I'm amazed by her. Uh, but it's also kind of the unique thing. I'm an extreme introvert and she's an extreme extrovert. Um, so when she needs people time and I need alone time, it works really well for me to watch a basketball game or for, and for her to go to a friend's house or, or have somebody over. Uh, and it's a great way so that we can kind of, uh, both feed into our own, um, our own health and our relation, relational health as well. Um, well kind of
0: getting recharged. It's, it's pretty fun. That's a a great medium for you guys to use it as. I I like that a lot. Adam, how about you? The number one fan moment.
2: That that's so funny. Matt says that because my girlfriend will come home and I'm watching like my third basketball game in a row, and she just shakes his head like, "Do you really need to be watching the Kings Sons right now?" And I'm like, <laughs> I do. I really do. This this Bogdanovich guy's got something to him. Um, no, I think from. The fan moment, I mean, I, I don't want to kind of go with the kind of classic, the go tos, obviously the kawaii moments and all of that. I think the coolest fan moment I had was watching it with people at the last game, game six. I watched it with my girlfriend's family, who none of them care even a little bit about basketball. They're a hockey family, a football family. And so of the postseason, I've been kind of watching alone so that I can try and, as you said, have that analytical lens about things and kind of break stuff down. But game six, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to go and enjoy this with my girlfriend's family. And sitting there with these people that three weeks ago didn't even know who Pascal Siakam was, and now my girlfriend's sister's, like, yelling spicy pee and mafuzi chef and her nineteen <laughs> year old grandma's sitting there, like, as if she's the expert on what's a charge and what isn't a charge and how Carl Lowry is the grittiest player in the NBA, but Stephen Curry is just a flopper, which were the great takes. So I should have just really had her grandma Mike <laughs> for, for all of the game. And to just kind of see the, the joy and the, the excitement that people that didn't even care about basketball about a month ago got just kind of getting around, rallying around this sort of team was what made it more enjoyable for me. It's like I almost got to show them off. To, to my family and my friends as it started picking up. They, everyone would ask me about it in the gym or at practice. And so it was kind of like my little thing here in Vancouver. I could just like show them off like, oh, yeah, like this is, <laughs> is Mark Gasol. This is what he does and kind of give everyone this kind of brief little rundown. So, yeah, I think that would be my my fan moment, watching the others get involved.
0: That's interesting, and that probably segues into a really interesting question, which is, and I'll I'll go back to you for this one, Adam, before getting to Matt, but who is the person that you found was the farthest from Raptors fandom swing the farthest into Raptors fandom? So going from nothing, like if you, let's say he's, it's the version of the Brooklyn accent guy that I've done on the Reaction podcast, (laughs) that guy becoming, you know, a massive Pascal Siakam fan, he loves him. This guy goes all the way. What's the biggest difference you saw?
2: I think it's just the, the the biggest difference was kind of I I don't know how to even kind of put this into words, but like I think it's just the backdrop to what everyone kind of expected from the Raptors. Those that don't really follow them are like, but do you really care about the Raptors? And obviously, we've gone to great lengths talking about how they've kind of they're a different team and they they weren't going to come fall to the same hurdles as previous Raptors teams. I think it was just. That moment, I think it was probably the Kawhi shot. that All the people that probably don't spend as much time focusing on the Raptors suddenly had their whole world shattered. And they suddenly, within that moment, they're like, you know what? The Raptors are a legitimate team. And it went from, like, Raptors can't do anything to within one shot, the Raptors are there. They can win an NBA title. So I think that's probably – I don't have a I don't have a good Brooklyn accent for you or anything like that, but I think that was probably the moment and kind of – where things started to shift
3: for me, it was it was right after the raptor, the day after the Raptors won the championship. My boss came into my office, and she is not really a, a sports fan. In fact, she's made it. Uh, she's joked some often that the only things that she watches on TV are The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Like those are those are her shows, and her husband's even worse. He doesn't watch any TV. Uh, and that day, they came in and talked about. Uh, she came in and talked about how they had watched the game and and how they got really into it and. Uh, her husband is, is so German, he thinks it's a waste of time to watch a three-hour basketball game because he could be doing other things. But here it th- th- was that they were rallying around a team that they had never really supported before, but series by series had gotten more and more invested um, and and really grew to love the dynamic of this group. It, it's, it was just fun, and I I felt like I was surrounded by a lot of people like that who— this was kind of a, an introduction to how fun basketball could be.
0: Oh, that's, that's so interesting. I also I didn't know that like not wasting time was a core tenet of the German culture. But now <laughs> I, I have a friend who's German. His name is Mark, who I'll unleash that on any time he's watching TV. I'll say, being a bad German, are we? <laughs> 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 They're an efficient the, Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's how they created Volkswagen. Um, from Matt, let's go to this. The number one regular season storyline. The thing that was either the most enjoyable or most dramatic. Whatever you want the highlight to be, you go for it, man. What was your favorite thing? Ooh, man. Um,
3: Pascal Siakam. And I feel like I'm giving lots of trite and simple answers, and, and, but it was fun. Uh, we, we, I think we forget seeing where he is now and the development that he made. Uh, that last summer we were having serious discussions as to who should be the starting power forward, um, whether we should run too big of uh, surge with Jonas at the time, or whether OG would be uh, splitting minutes at power forward. Um, and the prevailing thought was that Pascal Siakam would likely be coming off the bench as an energy piece. Um, now, granted, a more skilled energy piece than he was last year, Um but he became so much more. and it was uh, it was amazing to watch him make adjustments in real time. So one week it would be teams started throwing double teams at him, uh, and then he was having trouble adjusting. But then we saw him learning to pass out of that or learning to attack it in a different way, or um, attacking from different spots, working more off the ball. So we constantly saw that progression almost on a on a game by game basis of him, Seeing what teams were trying against him, um, and learning to adapt and make those changes necessary to um, to dominate, and, and he was he was the Raptors' most consistent player the entire season. And I, I think if we went we went back ten months from now, um, that would blow somebody's mind, and they they would have expected a failed season if that were the case.
0: Yeah, that's a, I think that's a great answer because I think I'd feel the same way I'll have a different answer but it'll be kind of tongue-in-cheek the Pascal Siakam thing is really interesting to me because as you alluded to his meteoric rise was great to watch but not only were we expecting him to maybe be a bench piece or a pseudo bench piece we were thinking I thought that his next step was going to be better passing and while acknowledging that he was already kind of a plus passer first position I thought that he was going to go towards that you know, the Draymond mold that everybody wanted him to go towards that everyone thought that was his ceiling. And yet he completely raised the ceiling of his scoring and he didn't seem to want to ever stop. And that's why he scored more than 30 in an NBA finals game. That's why he had 25 in a closeout game or 26 actually in a closeout game in the NBA finals. And God, that was so rewarding and intriguing to see how this guy who didn't have a pull-up jump shot, could just keep on trying to break the game vertically in new ways that I hadn't really seen anybody do. And that was when I went to the games and I went with my friends and I told them, I was like, I know Kawhi will be fun to watch, but let me tell you, Pascal Siakam, that's the guy who you'll remember watching, I think, because he just completely changes how the game works. What do you think about that, Adam? What do you think about Pascal's season?
2: Yeah, it's actually funny you guys mentioned this because the one game I did cover in person when I was out there was his career high against the Wizards right before the All Star break, and I I guess that's the first time I'd seen him in person. So I'm like, is this is this what's been happening all the time? Am I missing this? Is this does this not translate on TV? And I look at the box where like, oh no, this is his career high. So yeah, just seeing (laughs) somebody that kind of exuded confidence, especially given. There were so many question marks after the after the kind of Kawhi, DeRozan trade, and especially with those kind of ancillary pieces after another LeBron defeat. So to see him just kind of without it, just didn't look like there was a hint of nervousness. It was like immediately from the get go, he was he was ready to go, and it doesn't it feels like long ago, but like it was going to be a question between who would start between him and OG. They were going to split minutes, they were going to share time, and. Obviously the unfortunate season that OG had kind of allowed the opportunity for Siakam, but he but he took it with both hands. And that was, that's what really kind of impressed me about his season.
0: Well, do you have a you know another storyline that maybe that interested I, you? I,
2: I do indeed. And Samson, I'm sure you can predict what's about to come
0: out of my mouth. Marcus All. Hundred percent. Marcus
2: oh. <laughs> The Marcus All trade changed the tenor of everything and obviously I've prefaced many times that I Marcus Hall is arguably my favorite player of all time and when that trade happened personally obviously I got a huge amount of investment involved once he came came on board but the way that the Raptors season kind of changed the note of the Raptors season, it was like once that Gasol trade happened it was now it's business time now it's now we're looking forward to the playoff push and it was awesome to see how they kind of how they were integrating with Kawhi Leonard. Obviously he was kind of existing outside the offense of the Raptors, but they were still winning. And you knew that this team was more legitimate than Raptors teams have passed, but you also knew in the back of your mind you're like, Masai's probably got someone up his sleeve. Like this isn't what we're gonna be seeing in the playoffs. So as soon as that Gasol trade happened and the trade headline passes, you're locked in, right? Like this is what we're riding with now. And then, obviously, once Gasol comes in, just kind of seeing how the team start to kind of work together. They start to coalesce, and it it worked into the end of the regular season. And, obviously, each round in the playoff, we saw them kind of on the fly getting to know each other, making reads off of each other, offensively and defensively. So I think not only just because of my Gasol fandom, and I have to give him a shout-out whenever I can, but I think the kind of ripple effect of that transaction, it was kinda of like, alright, here we go. enough, enough dilly-dally, and now we get into the serious stuff.
0: I have a I have a question for you, Adam. Yes. Your first article for Raptors Republic, did it come before or after Marcus All was added to the team?
2: Uh I think I did one or two before. And then Damn. I so I came out there, funny story actually, I came out there to Toronto to kinda Just learn the ropes a little bit, kind of get, see, see what's going on with the Raptors. Obviously, I'm doing my journalism degree here in Vancouver. And I've been a, I love the Raptors, Canada's team, but I also have this, this kind of love for the grit and grind Grizzlies ever since I was about (laughs) 11, 12 years old. So I'm going to Toronto and the moment I land to start a little internship, I get a text saying, my whole phone's blowing up like, Adam, you know you're in Toronto and Gasol just got traded. So it was literally the moment I landed in Toronto that Gasol also came to Toronto. So it was destiny, really.
0: That is, that is very, very serendipitous. It I can't believe Toronto. your are good fortune. Uh, I, for me, the, uh, the tongue-in-cheek version of the storyline was the, uh, the moral panic that some parts of Raptors Twitter entered once we traded away Jonas Valanciunas. Because I think that was one of the more interesting plots of the conversation that surrounded the Raptors for so long and to see it swept out from under all of us because we had all been so invested in the Jonas Valanciunas takes for so long. There are hives that have formed of people who you know, either attack or defend and everybody was so entrenched in one camp or another and then he's injured and poof, he's gone and You know, we get Marcus Gasol back, who is an incredible player. And this is an insular type of take because, you know, normal fans won't understand this. But the people who are involved in Raptors Twitter and Twitter's takes and NBA Twitter's takes will know that it was really funny to see the fallout from Jones Valentinus leaving the Raptors and kind of wondering, like, well, who's better, Valanciunas or Gasol? And then having, you know, to answer that question and ask that question is who fits better, who is better? Watching Jonas Valanciunas eat these monstrous numbers for so many games and then watch Gasol redeem everybody who had faith in him. Uh, Maybe you most of all, Adam, in the (laughs) playoffs when he was able to defend in the pick and roll. Getting back to you, Matt, after giving the title a bit of time to breathe, who do you think came away the most underrated for the Raptors? And then secondly, maybe just in the playoffs, who is the most underrated player that wasn't a Raptor? Ooh,
3: are, are we looking at just playoffs for
0: Raptors, or
3: or on the season? Who's the most underrated?
0: Just just playoffs.
3: Just playoffs. Um, probably by the end of it, just by virtue of not being there, it's it's OG. I think a lot of people forget uh, that he was even on the team or his role. Um, but the the story that kind of sticks with me outside of that for uh, is Jordan Lloyd and and the Raptors uh, practice sessions. Um, there was a great piece, I think it was on CBS Sports, but I, I may be completely misquoting that, um, talking about how the Raptors basically ran Jordan Lloyd as the opposition's top offensive players. So when they were running against, uh, when they were up against the 76ers, they were having him mimic Ben Simmons' motions. Um, when they were playing the Warriors, they had him mimic Steph Curry. Uh, And so they were having him run sets based on specific people, allowing their defense to strategize and match up with them more successfully. Um, So I I, I love those little stories of the players who don't play um, Mm -hmm. and yet still find those ways to contribute and meaningfully impact the success of a team. And um, so from top to bottom, uh, I I think all of them played a role. And and Jordan Lloyd's celebrations alone were just... uh, Elite.
2: Yeah, that was a real. Uh, I'm glad you you got some Jordan Lloyd love in there because I'm actually a big fan of his. And yeah, I what It's kind of funny because I I can't I can't really think of a underrated player amongst the players that really did play. Almost each guy got their moment to shine over the past four rounds of playoffs. So that's actually probably the best answer someone can give. Uh, I've maybe maybe Serge Ibaka. Like people people love Serge Ibaka as well. But he did really kind of show up in some of the most crucial moments during the playoffs when stuff, wor- stuff was looking pretty dire. I mean, the Game 7 out-of-body experience was, was something to behold. But, um, yeah, other than that, I think every player got their, got their due credit. And, yeah, Matt, that's a, that's a cool point on Jordan Lloyd.
0: That allows for a lot of space <laughs> for uh, everyone else to go. And that's such a cool little factoid. And I'm wondering who you thought league-wide, if you're looking at the playoffs as a whole, who was the most important and underrated player?
3: Uh, Joel Embiid. I'll, I'll go with him. Oh, yeah. Mark, Mark Gasol had uh, had a good impact on on helping change things, but even despite dealing with uh, with an infection and a cold and a bum mm-hmm. knee, um, he was still, I believe, plus 90 during his his minutes on the court. Um, like he was basically, uh, an offense in and of himself and without him, the Sixers lost the series, uh, and yet they lost. And so that shows up to him, uh, negatively because he's their best player. Uh, and so I think a lot of people missed the type of impact he had just a, at least casual fans, um, based on the fact that he, he didn't put up gaudy numbers, but his impact, even despite the Raptors defensive focus was incredible.
0: I think that's a great point. I think I would actually that would be the exact person I would say because his impact was so large and outsized, it's almost comical. And I wonder it's it's intriguing to see him dominate in that way because we're so used to small ball being the the talk of the town and how teams are just going to small ball no matter what. And you can see some people talk about how, you know, you just need to build small start from there, and then if you can sign good bigs, that's the way to go. But hopefully with Embiid having his success in that way, guys like Steph, Kyle, Damian Lillard having their success in that way, you see teams stop trying to build other archetypes of teams and just try and build around great players, and then we'll have all these different types of teams. Because in the NBA landscape right now, the 76ers are so unique because they're these mammoth men all gathered together with no spacing, and they're just like, listen, we're the biggest dudes on the court. We're bad as hell, and we're like, we're coming at you and just try and deal with our size. And for the Raptors, that was almost impossible. It was really something. How about for you, Adam? Who do you think was the most underrated in the playoffs?
2: Most underrated? Hmm. You know, now I think about it, I was going to say I've got a list here, but I think I'm going to have to go with Clay Thompson, man. It's the story of... It's the story of Clay Thompson since Durant's been there at the Warriors. Even in the finals, Clay's injury gets overshadowed by another player in Durant. So, dude, just in that finals as well, seeing what that guy was doing, some of the shots he was hitting, and just the cold-blooded nature and how he was doing it, just pulling up from anywhere, and his defensive impact is, is just – once you're rooting against it, you truly understand the impact that he has for that team – And I know that a lot of the Warriors kind of got that a lot of media attention and credit after KD went down and they knocked off the Rockets and they knocked off the Blazers. But I still felt a lot of that praise was going towards Stefan Draymond, which is rightly so. Obviously, Draymond's numbers went through the roof. But still, behind it all, it's like even when that happens, Clay seems to be the last one that's talked about yet. He's the one there shutting down the Blazers' backcourt, which is... Supposed to be one of the top backcourts in the game. He's the one that's yeah hitting daggers against the Raptors and Ding up all sorts of players. And yeah, it, it, even amidst all of this, and it's a Warriors damn dynasty, it still feels like he's
0: underappreciated. That's a great answer, both you guys. So bravo. Mm-hmm. Those are the I think those are the two best answers you could give. And that's interesting that you brought up Clay. And something just before we move on to the next thing is it's interesting that Clay Thompson. Even though I understand that Steph Curry drives the Warriors and their system and what happens, and spacing, 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 and gravity, 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 all very important. And I would have, even if Clay had like thirty five points in a game seven, if I had a vote, I'd still probably vote for Curry. But I think for the people who were voting, if the Warriors do come back in that series, I think Curry, misses out on another finals MVP because Clay was in rare air. And I think that he was probably he would have been the guy to get it because the way he played and the fact that his injury is all that we talk about in that finals is is kinda crazy. So I really like that answer.
2: I was just gonna say the work he put on we we as the Raptors insiders all secretly revel in the fact when Jimmy Butler or middleton or someone tries to post up lowry we're like do it i dare you it's not gonna work even zach lowe says it yet clay thompson took lowry in the post and every time he got the damn ball it was in the bucket like that guy absolutely And i love lowry and we all love lowry but he absolutely cooked him in the post
0: you know what it is it's that clay thompson unlike middleton or whoever else they they really try and they they try and back lowry down Klay mm-hmm. Thompson doesn't back Lowry down at all. He just turns as soon as the ball touches his fingertips. He's turning in over his like left shoulder for a jump shot, and that's he's not messing with Lowry in the post. He's just like, okay, I'm guaranteeing that a short guy's guarding me. I'm not going to try and outmuscle him. I'm just going to shoot over top of him, and that's the way to play against Lowry in the post. But everyone, mm-hmm. everyone gets it mixed up. Uh, back to you, Matt, for this one. Have you, and if so, how much, how much have you watched? or rewatched the last series the finals or any of the playoffs at all uh
3: i haven't watched any full games uh actually i've rewatched game 6 versus milwaukee that one i've rewatched um but outside of that it's been watching uh i've watched a lot of highlights it's kind of one of my my coping mechanisms when when work gets uh, tedious or hard um i i've mainly watched the celebration that was a, a real special moment of um kyle with his kids and watching gasol celebrate this kind of career accomplishment so late um so it's it's i've i've picked and choosed and and it's it's been fun and it's something that i'll go back to regularly likely this summer when i get a little bit. Um, basketball anxious that you know i i don't have any ball to watch then i'll go back and kind of watch more clips and 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 uh full games
0: that's it's the same for me i've i've rewatched like game 6 of the finals a couple times two times actually just because it's such a crazy thing and i really wanted it to warp into my brain and just kind of always be there how about for you adam
2: i'm i'm kind of with matt in the fact that I think we it was such a whirlwind journey and such a long long journey as well this this playoff series. I mean Orlando feels like years ago at this point. That <laughs> I was almost and the amount that I was trying to write and cover that I was almost not burned out to say cuz it was an awesome experience getting to follow that so so closely. But I was like, you know what? Once it was done, I was I was like, you know what? The mission has been completed. I kind of just start to revel in seeing the guys let their hair down. Like the guys finally have that moment to exhale. And those are the things that really kind of started to bring me joy as well. Is I mean, and obviously I watched some of those highlights and some of the packages and like some people have put together some just ridiculously sweet clips and just montages. But I think the most joy I've got as well is out is seeing kind of the different players and how they celebrate and just seeing how much it meant to different guys in different ways. That's that's really been what I've kind of reveled in in the last month or so. And I I've, little- I've
3: devoured every interview that I could get my my hands on, like mm-hmm. hearing hearing their experience and hearing what they went through and um, the the journey of it all and what they are looking forward to, like all of that personal experience. Um, that's what I've really devoured.
2: I mean, it's it's so cool too, because with this team is like you said with those interviews, each guy. Oh, there's like there's clusters of guys that in different parts of their career that they give such different answers and experience the win in such a different way so when you look at someone like Larry and Gasol it's been such a long time coming and they've they've been kind of maybe overlooked and it was just you could feel the weight come off of them and then with someone like Kawhi it was it was just a complete